In the beginning, there was darkness. Then, there was Paul Brown. Paul Brown transformed the game. Hello, Paul Brown here. Welcome to the first ever International Browns Podcast. It's a bye week. We're all bored out of our heads. We're going to be watching Red Zone, but today we're going to be talking all about the offense, how we rate it this season, and over the next three, four, five years, what position rooms, or how each position room is going to kind of look. I'm here with Jack and Ian. Jack, how are you, buddy? I'm good. This is some of my favorite stuff, sort of chatting about the roster. Um, where do we see it going? Sort of NFL front offices looking sort of a three-year window, so uh, that that's the perfect time, uh, sort of distance for us to look at two and a half years. Um, who's in? Who's out? Um, so do, does any player have sort of something they really need to achieve within the last eight games of the season plus playoff games, obviously, um, to push them to the next level, push them to a new deal? Who's on the hot seat? Um, so yeah, just a great chance to sort of chat about where we're at. So uh, exciting times. And Ian, is this your last podcast as you, as a non-married man? Yeah, that's a good question. I don't know. We're going to do one later in the week. Uh, yes. I have all the way until Saturday, but I will say the Browns lost to the Raiders was my last Browns game as an unmarried man. And of course, in fitting fashion, we lose and a game where we had six offensive possessions. And I know I wasn't on the post game. You guys did an awesome job on that one. But uh, yeah, yeah. I was sitting there. I'm like, this is how I go out as an unmarried man. Well, let's start off some news. I'm getting some rumors through that Baker's on the COVID list. Jack, do you want to talk us through that? Yeah, so it's basically been reported he came in close to contact with a staff member. He's had two negative tests. He's going to be back Wednesday. Nothing to really worry about. So uh, that's all good there. Uh, some noise today. Nick Chubb's going to be back fine next week, according to the old rap sheet. Um, but there's only one man that really going to improve our running game. And that's not Nick Chubb, because running backs don't change the running game. Offensive linemen do. So uh, still haven't seen anything about Wyatt Teller. But hopefully the big man is back and well, because uh, that will make a big impact on the team. And Ian, are you going to go to the game next week? You know, as much as I would love to get up to Cleveland 12 hours after the wedding, I'm not trying to start off on the wrong foot with the uh, soon-to-be wife. So I will hopefully get to a game by the end of the year, but I just do not think it'll be the Texans. But the odd part about even what Jack said in the offensive line is Chris Hubbard has not done a terrible job. I think, if I'm not mistaken, the Browns are the leading pass-blocking team in the NFL. But – in terms of the run game, adding somebody that's as caliber of a run blocker as Wyatt Teller, I think definitely will be a nice boost to the team in the second half. Oh, yeah, Chris Hubbard is balling. Absolute balling. Uh, that's for all the Browns Twitter that wanted to cut him, release him, stone him, feather him, tar him. And here he has stepped up, played a nice game at right tackle, played a couple of games in at right guard. You know, these are the type of guys that we've in the past let go to other teams and then they show up and you're like, well, wait, how did they all of a sudden get good? And it's like, well, wait a minute. How about we just go get the best offensive line coach in the NFL and look what happens. 
All right, guys, let's go straight into this. Jack, what grade are you giving the offense only for the last eight games? I'm not interested in grading. Um, I'm going I'm to be a rebel here and say, hey, let's ignore the grading. Let's just look at position rooms. Let's start with the quarterback room. Where the correct I? answer is six. The offense has earned a six for the first eight games. <laughs> because some good, some bad, a little bit above average, six. You've basically got what's going to be the decision on Baker. For me, I, I've stayed consistent all season. He, he, no way should he ever deserve an extension after this year. Um, give him the um, fifth-year option as long as he continues in an okay fashion. Um, and let's see what he can do next year. And that's where we make the decision. It's going to be a tough decision. It's the hardest decision any franchise and front office has to make is do they pay a quarterback or not. Um, pretty much everything else is relatively easy compared. Um, we just don't know the answer. Um, and I don't even know in the last eight games if we're going to find out the answer. And uh, until you get that answer, it's hard to know. Case Keenum is never the answer. So if, if anyone's out there saying put in Case Keenum, there is no point. The only reason you put in Case Keenum is if your season's over and you're trying to tank to get as high as draft pick as possible. We are certainly not in this uh, realm. So uh, for me, I'd never waste money on a backup quarterback. We've seen that. Andy Dalton's proved it. What I, I was going to say, if you really wanted the draft pick, you could have done what the Cowboys are doing and just taken our practice squad quarterback, Garrett Gilbert, and given him the start against the mighty Steelers. We, we could have done what me and Paul banged the table for all offseason. We could have drafted Gardner Minshew, and we'd have had an amazing backup quarterback. Paul's even looking like him, minus a tash. He's got the hairband. He's basically the UK Gardner Minshew. On the, on, I'm basically on the bench. All right, let's let's um, let's go O line first, then yeah. Does Ian want to jump in on quarterback before we jump to O line? Sorry, sorry, oh, Ian. No, you're fine. And we've we've kind of talked extensively about Baker Mayfield, and I think what's really going to determine whether or not Baker is here long term is to what we've talked about in the past: the tiered structure for every position group outside of quarterbacks has to come into play and you know jack i don't know if we can maybe look down the road but when you see guys like mahomes when you see guys like watson russell wilson sign these mega deals baker mayfield and his agent realistically cannot sit down at the table with andrew barry and say i want that money you can't russell wilson's won a super bowl patrick mahomes has won a super bowl aaron Rodgers has won a super bowl these are elite guys so what happens is, is until, and now I'm hoping because the money has gotten a little astronomical in terms of quarterback play, that the tiered structure can come in where you can go to Baker and say, listen, Baker, you're not, you're not a 10, 12% cap guy or whatever the number is, you know, you're two thirds of that. So you start bringing him in saying the only way you're going to be successful in this league is if we have a great offensive line. If we have running backs, if we have an elite receiver here and there, you have to kind of go at it like the Seahawks defense you know, Seahawks team before Russell Wilson got that mega deal. So that's in, in terms of quarterback, that's where I'm at. You know, Baker right now paced 1500 yards in the first eight games, 15 touchdowns, seven interceptions. I think that pretty much is kind of what we think Baker is. Baker is your guy. He may flash and have a Matt Ryan year where he's a top six, top eight quarterback, but Baker's going to hover in that just above average quarterback, that 10 to 15, which when you have, a structure in place, like I think Andrew Barry and Kevin Stefanski are putting in there, 
you can be very successful. So it's going to come down to, I a hundred percent agree with Jack Mayfield's not getting the mega extension, play it out and then just see wherever, where all the chips fall there. Yeah. I think if you're going to say what's Baker get, you're looking basically at Goff and Wentz for me, it's probably where he sits. Um, so if it was this year, you're looking at about 34 million a year. Um, obviously when the deal's done, cause it, it won't be this off season. Um, but yeah, I think everyone's unanimous. Give him the fifth-year deal. Let's wait a year and see where we stand because we've got time. There is no point in rushing this decision. The worst thing you do is rush in and then you're tied to that quarterback for basically another four years because the amount of dead cap, et cetera, you can't really walk away. So um, yeah, we've got time. He, he is a fifth, you get a fifth-year deal. So you could go all the way to the fifth year, but there's negative connotations to that um, if you wait that long and is it sort of a slap in the face? But uh, we've spoke about it before. You, you wait a year out, give them the fifth-year option because we have to do that this off-season. And let's just see how it rolls. If, they, if there's a quarterback they love who falls, they can draft one um, if there's someone they're in love with. So uh, crazy things have happened. Yeah, I'm in the camp of uh, Baker Mayfield. Keep him, uh, get as much as we possibly can out of him and make a decision as late as possible. Uh, I think it's good business. I don't know. I, I disagree, Jack. I don't think, um, you know, it's NFL. It's a business. We've got every right to make decisions as, as late as we possibly can. And, uh, yeah, Baker has to earn that contract. I'm, I'm saying you can easily wait a year and a half. If you're waiting and telling him, we're going to wait until the end of your fifth year, we'll franchise tag you, and then we'll decide whether we want to extend you. That's the sort of stuff that seems to slap in the face. And you end up paying slightly over the odds of what you want to pay because, you give the player more of the power there. So I'm, I'm saying you've got time. You've got this off-season. You've got next off-season. That's ideally when you want to make a decision. Um, because if you don't know in next off-season, if you not this coming off-season, the next one, if you're going to extend him or not, you've got to be drafting a quarterback in the first round because you, you've got to be prepared for it going wrong. Well, what about uh, Case Keenum? Um, he's got three years left or no? Um, it was a I think two, it was a three-year deal, so I think he would have two left, and there's probably an option in there towards the end. Uh, I think is he on two or three? Um, he yeah, would you on a three-year deal, there? so he's got two more left after this. So he's just going to sit there as the backup. Um, he's definitely here for two. Probably going to get cut for that third year. So uh, before March twenty-first, when his uh, one million roster bonus is due, but he's certainly here next year. And so basically, next year, no stress. Let the quarterback room do does what it does. Get a third, get a fourth quarterback, whoever's around, and let it do its job. Yeah, I mean, realistically, I don't know if, you know, the Cowboys are looking at Garrett Gilbert long-term. You bring him back in. I mean, you're just – you're trying to find that, that third tier of guys, somebody to develop. To Jack's point, if there's a guy in the draft that you like, you know – you could do what the Packers did, and maybe if you're you're picking late in the first round, and there's a guy that falls that you really like, and you think that he has a two or three year development plan. It doesn't hurt. I mean, realistically, we've talked about this in the past. The first round is meant for about five positions. That's about it. You know, you're not taking guards, you're not taking linebackers, and all this other stuff in the first round. So, and who is our third callback at the moment? 
have we got one? Yeah, we brought in um hold on, I'll pull him up. He is this, the uh this is how good we are. Oh maybe we didn't. I thought we brought somebody out of the practice squad that was a quarterback. I thought yeah, they we were super excited about him. Oh, it's Cole Laletta. That's yeah. it. I was gonna say Laletta from the Giants. What Jeez, were you gonna guys. do with him, Jack? I, he's not he's not making it. <laughs> Uh, don't worry. If you want a quarterback, you go get them in the first round. It's the only place you go shopping for a quarterback. No, sorry, but do you think he'd be on the roster for the next couple of years with the Browns or no? They'll bring in competition next year in camp and just see who wins out. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's one of them. Uh, it, they'll probably just stash on the practice squad and keep a guy hanging around because at the end of the day, you've got to be happy with Case Keenum. So, uh, it'll, they'll probably be only two quarterbacks this year, two quarterbacks next year, and then... Uh, yeah, if there's two on the squad, then there's someone on the practice squad, but it means that someone will get nicked, and nah, they're fine with that. All right, let's go O-line. So O-line, you've got, um, obviously, left tackle's locked in long-term, right tackle's locked in long-term, um, because they've both got deals you're not walking away from, so Wills, Conklin. Um, in terms of the interior, just going across, you've got Betonio with... Uh, I want to say a couple of years left. Um, you've got Tretter with a couple of years left. And then um, White Teller finishes his third year this year, which means we're finally able to extend him. Um, so he's going to be getting a uh, nice big deal this offseason. So uh, good luck to the guy. Jack, how many more years has Conklin got? Conklin is tied in for another two after this year. Um, just because of the way the deal was done, it's fully guaranteed. It was a fully um, guaranteed four-year, right? It's a fully guaranteed three-year. Hooper got a fully guaranteed four-year. Um, so, Betonio's got two more years after this, but he's got no guarantees left in the deal. Um, Tretter um, has a deal because um, he renewed last year. Um, so, Tretter's got two more years left after this as well. So, they're looking for pieces that could potentially build on from them, not so much for next season, but the season after, um, because you're not probably going to give a, a O-lineman a, a longer deal once them two contracts ex, um, expire. So uh, they'll be keeping an eye out. If Nick Harris suddenly steps up and they really, really rate him, then uh, they might feel good a year after this moving on. But I've got no real worries about the O-line. Um, you've got phenomenal work there from... Uh, uh, Callahan, the the only contract extension I'll be rolling out is whatever he's on, time down for a few more years because uh, I don't want to lose him. He has been phenomenal. Um, it, it, behind Dante Scarnecchia, who is in the league of his own, um, Callahan is in a league of his own just behind that. So um, that is high, high praise. So uh, no, we're in a really, really good position with the O-line. Um, they'll continue to take shots and sort of maybe third, fourth, fifth round um, at guys they like because you need three tackles, you need four guys on the interior. Um, it's worth just having options. The thing is, though, guys, we are paying a lot of money for our O-line. It's expensive O-line. If you think about it, though, with Jedrick Wills on a rookie deal, the, the left tackle is generally the, the, the hallmark of the offensive line. Betonio's on a, you know, a top guard contract. Wyatt Teller's obviously on a low contract. Conklin's on a, a friendly deal. So relative to what they could spend, 
it's not too bad. I'd have to look at the positional spending to see where they're at, but I don't think they're in some, you know, Los Angeles Rams level dangers or the New Orleans Saints level dangers in terms of their salary cap because of the offensive line. And let's be honest, it seems to be worth it. So I'd rather put the money into the offensive line than say like wide receivers. Yeah, it's one where you can sort of get away with paying three players on the O-line um, at one time. And so that's where we're at with three. And it, it, it fits on nicely. So White Teller after this got one more cheap year. And then that basically leads us on to, we've got two years to go and replace Betonio, um, have a route forward for replacing Nick Harris. When Conklin's done, you're then paying White Teller. We're in a really nice cycle there. It's just about continuing to draft smart. And if, you can, if you've got time and you've got a steady O-line with the front five, you can take loads of shots at guys in the uh, third to fifth round who can come in and hopefully do the business. Um, and all you need is a couple of them to hit. And suddenly you can say to a Betonio, look, you've been phenomenal for this franchise. You have been an absolute stalwart. We're going to move you on. Um, you can go get a deal with someone else. You can go get paid more, more guarantees. Um, we've got a guy that can do 90%, um, but he's on a rookie deal. And you can spend a whole year working with these guys with no need to put them in straight away. And that's great when you're taking third and fourth and fifth round picks and going, we don't want you to play for an entire year. Let's just work with Callahan every day and get ready for next year. So, uh, no, we're in a really, really solid position. I really rate um, what they've done with the O-line. And uh, it's just about continuing strength. And so uh, Hubbard's going to be gone after this year. Um, he'll, he'll go get some money. Probably go to a bottom sort of six team in the NFL and they'll sign him to be a starter. Um, and he, he won't perform to that level, but I can understand why they'd take a punt. Can't we sign him to a friendly deal or not? You don't want to be spending. Um, it would have to be very friendly. He'd have to sit there and go, Bill Callahan is the reason for my success. I'm willing to take – because remember, the Browns paid him, what, $35 million? So he's gotten a payday. To Jack's point, does he go to Jacksonville and take like an $8 million a year, or does he stay on a real team-friendly here to have the success? You know, and for all the, you know, I know that a lot of people always criticize taking shots on mid to late rounders. Just take a look at the Steelers roster, the seven and no Steelers. And I know we don't like to talk about it, but look how many of their guys come up through a one and a two year or three year pipeline and then are impact players later on down the road. You draft and develop from within the system. So to Jack's point, if you're taking corners, or you're taking linebackers, or you're taking kind of these positions. If you can find contributors and solid starters in that mid to late rounds, develop them on special teams, that is a gold mine in terms of, you know, being able to manage the contract cap situation. Because, you know, obviously we'll get into the defense at another point, but, you know, Baker and Denzel Ward, you know, Denzel Ward is having just a hell of a season and he's going to want his money. And to be fair, he deserves it. So Andrew Barry is going to have quite a bit of fun. And, you know, all those years of being number one and number two in cap space availability when you got good players, you don't have that problem. Or I should say that luxury. Anyone else? Um, Jack, with Whiteller, what type of contract do you think he'd be get offered this year? It's going to depend what he comes out and does after the, uh, he's back. But to put into perspective, in terms of PFF grades, what he put up at the start of the season is a better window than Joe Thomas has ever done for a whole season. And that is insane how good the guy is playing. So it's going to be pricey, 
But um, he, he's a sensible chap. And you've got the advantage because you can go after year three. We can pay you and get it done. Because he knows then if he goes out and he has a above average year rather than an elite all pro year next year, he's not having to take that pay cut. We can stick him somewhere nearer that sort of um, pro bowl, just below level rather than the all pro level and go, let's just get the deal done. He'll sign it. Job done. And uh, I don't know what that number's going to be. It's, uh, it's too hard to know at this stage, but I'd put him, probably say he's going to get a deal somewhere in the top five, ten guards in the NFL. Um, so uh, he's going to be a happy, happy chap. What's that, 18 million? It's, uh, it's not going to be that high, but it's proper hard. Just with everything going on with sort of COVID, um, salary cap moving around, we're probably, based on the deals we've done, come up with some funny old contract stuff. Um, well, if you look right now, look. Brand, Brandon Scherf, 10, 15 million. Brandon Brooks, 14 million. Zach Martin, 14. Zeitler, 12 million. Over what? 10. 10 million a year, I reckon. Is wow. probably where Teller's going to be. Probably. Yeah, so I was thinking 6 million a year. You're thinking about 10 million a year. I think 10 to 12 um, is where it's going to be. I think they can probably do another deal where it's 10, but they're going to guarantee three of those four years or something like that. Um, And that's going to be the interesting thing to see because we saw them first tranche of contracts. Hooper, Conklin, fully guaranteed deals effectively. Uh, Miles Garrett, fully effectively guaranteed. How many players do that? If we start seeing Ward getting that, if we start seeing Teller getting that, then they're going to set it up as a risky proposition. You're saving, say, that sort of, we'll save 5%, but we're going to guarantee it. The issue gets down the line. If you need to start walking away from a deal, a deal because a player has gone a bit down the pad, you can't really do it because if Hooper or Conklin's a bust, they're pretty much staying on the Browns for three or four years, respectively. So um, it's one of, it's going to be interesting to see sort of the next, at least the next offseason, ideally the next two, to get an idea of sort of their contract structure. But yeah, Teller will get paid this summer. Um, Whenever it happens, it's definitely happening. And I'm surprised they're going to be early because um, they know contract markets go up. The quicker you get in there, um, it means someone else is not getting paid first. And Betonio's 29. He signed, he's on 10 million a year, so he's the sixth highest paid guard. So I think, and that was even with an all-pro under his belt. So, yeah, I would say just given inflation time and all that stuff, that four-year, four, four 40 million range, kind of somewhere in there is probably what I'd be guessing. Which is not a bad thing if you have a guy that can anchor down the right side of your line with Jack Conklin. I mean, you're pretty much set. Then you get guys like Drew Forbes and guys like Nick Harris. You know, I think Forbes ends up becoming what Chris Hubbard, kind of the role he plays this year. You know, obviously he has an entire year um, to kind of just make sure everything is Project X, as he says. Um, Two years. He's been working behind the scenes. Yeah, so there you go. So. You know, Forbes is, I think, going to be the guy that comes in because I think the Browns lead the league in number of guards on the COVID list. I think we got, what, Forbes, Gossett, Pridgen. Um, so we got a lot of guards hanging out in the, uh, the COVID list. So I don't think offensive line is going to be an issue. I really don't. I think you have the Browns who came out and consciously said, we have a quarterback who has, you know, top 15 potential. We have to give him – a good O-line and a good running game. So you first thing you do is you invest wisely. You go and get Bill Callahan and you say, Bill, fix it, get it done. Get the guys in here. You need, because if you remember, right, 
John Dorsey goes out and trades for Wyatt Teller and gives up some late round picks and everybody doesn't understand. He comes in, he can't play. Paul, when we were at Cincy, we saw him get benched. He got benched in week 17 last year and was not happy about it. So this is a guy who took it personal, the new staff, and you have to give the credit to Andrew Barry and Kevin Stefanski and Bill Callahan. They got this guy on board. He bought in. He followed the team message of work, work, work. And he's turned himself now into an eight-figure-a-year player in the NFL. So you have to give all the credit in the world to the Browns coaching staff and Wyatt Teller for getting him to that point. Jack, what room next? Tight end, running back, or wide receiver? I, th- I think tight end. It's going to be an easy one. We can just skirt pretty much through it. Um, Hooper's here long-term. Conklin's here long-term. Uh, not Conklin. Um, Bryant is here long-term. Obviously, looked really, like, Did really we good. flex him out? We flexed. Conklin now is going out one wide. Why not? Let's go crazy. Um, and... Then it just comes down to what they're going to do with David Njoku. Um, I said when he asked for a trade, um, and lots of people have said, oh, well, this is on Drew Rosenhaus. I don't think it is. Njoku went and changed his agent to Drew Rosenhaus, and then Rosenhaus requested a trade. I think it was a case of he wanted to leave. And I wrote a piece about it. I understand why he wanted to leave. These three tight ends aren't in a good position to go and earn money um, after their time with the Browns because even though they're a big part of the Stefanski offense, they're not a productive part in terms of the stat column. Um, so he, he will either go this year or go next year. Um, we might try trade off the deal, uh, probably get something like a fifth for him. Um, or we might hold on. Um, it could easily be one that is going to happen maybe on draft day because we find out we get someone we like in the draft and then we just flip him. Um, or... They might just keep him around for the whole nother year. So uh, it's one that I'm not too worried. The position room is looking really strong. Um, They've got two great players. I think Harrison Bryant's going to be the best tight end, um, better than anything Hooper can do. Um, And Hooper's not bad. Well, the only thing Harrison Bryant has to do to get on that level of Hooper is that blocking. Because Harrison Bryant, he'll make a good block here and there, but he – you can tell there's a notable drop-off in the running abilities without Austin Hooper. So when Austin Hooper, who came out of Stanford and was in Atlanta with Kyle Shanahan, he understood very early on the importance of blocking. So Hooper, and you're 100% right. And the thing that I, even going back to last Sunday, that absolutely drives me nuts about David Njoku is he has the confidence, the aura, and everything about him. But the biggest play of that game on Sunday came down to a third down. He's wide open and he drops the ball. And let's be honest, he catches the ball. He turns up field and why that was such a significant play. So after Gillen punted, there was a little over 13 minutes left in that fourth quarter. The Raiders ran eight minutes and 47 seconds off the clock because of a David Njoku drop. And they knew Listen, the defense, you know, was having trouble getting off the field and you need a guy like David Njoku, a first round pick with freak athleticisms and high jumping ability. And, you know, he's Prince of Nigeria and all these things to make that play. I have no doubt that Harrison Bryant catches that ball. I have no doubt that uh, Steve Carlson catches that ball. And I have no doubt that Austin Hooper catches that ball. And that changes the game because the Browns are now 
inside the Raiders territory. And yes, maybe not kicking a field goal because the gale force wins, but you don't give the Raiders the ball back to piss away the entire fourth quarter. So David Njoku, he's got a lot of growing up to do. If he gets to that point, you're hundred percent right, Jack. The reason he switched agents is because Drew Rosenhaus has an ability to broker trades. He has many connections in the league and he can figure out ways to get guys traded. It's not for contracts or anything like that. Njoku's looking to get paid somewhere. He's not going to get it here. Yeah. And the minute we took Harrison Bryant, we said there's no chance David Njoku is on this team long-term and getting a second deal here. And any time a front office turns around and goes, whatever you do, you're never getting a second deal here. You can't blame a, a player for wanting out because uh, these guys want to get paid. They only get usually, not many players actually get the chance to get paid once. And uh, he wants to maximize that. So, uh, no, good luck to the guy. I Personally, from a fan perspective, I would love to see him in Arizona. Um, I think that would be nuts with that offense. Um, but, uh, no, good luck to him. Um, it hasn't worked out. A lot of talent, but what will be, will be. We might have him for a, a half a year. We might have him for a year and a half. Um, he's going to play uh, regardless. Um, but, yeah, the Browns can happily pick up another guy. Um, we're loaded there for the long term. So, uh, happy, happy days. And, and you know what's going to happen is, is they're going to throw a touchdown fade to him. He's going to make a brilliant catch like he did against the Bengals. Like, and that's the part that has driven Browns fans crazy is, is, you know, we get this guy 2017 late in the first round, and he just has the ability to make these great plays but it's the boneheaded ones that just drive you nuts. And as a coach, the number one thing you have to be is reliable. And that's the thing with Njoku is Baker's going to continue to give him shots. And listen, he could have a game where Njoku comes out five catches, 120 yards, because when he gets up that seam, he can break tackles, he can stiff arm, he can run. I mean, he is everything you'd want in a physical specimen of a tight end, except consistent. Do you think he's worth a fifth round pick? Oh, if I was, if I, to Jack's point, if I was Arizona or another team, I'd give up a fifth form because I don't know how much of his lack of focus is worried about the stuff that he can't control. You know, one of the things that a lot of players early in their careers struggle with is the maturity factor of letting the business be the business and letting the play be the play. So I'm sure, and you know, I don't know David personally, I know that he has a very good connection with Bernie Kozar, but David needs to let his people handle the business and David needs to focus on being the best football player that David can be because this man has immense talent. His, I mean, his high pointing of the ball, his hands when, he, when he's focused are top level. It's just third and six, you run a drag, catch the ball. And it's, we've seen it too many times and I'm sure Stefanski is looking at it like, I scheme up this perfect play. You are wide open. I give you the opportunity. Because here's the thing with Njoku. He catches that ball and turns up the sidelines. There's no guarantee he can't take that to the house. He can jump 40 feet in the air. He can stiff arm guys to the cows come home. I mean, you never know what's going to happen when he has the ball. I think in college he had like a, I don't remember the, the exact stat, but his yards after catch was the highest in like college football history at some point for a tight end. It's insane because he's that much of a freak athlete. Look at the guy. He looks like a professional bodybuilder. I mean, he's got to have sub four or 5% body fat and he's impossible to bring down sometimes, but you got to catch the ball. What about, um, so you think Njuku will be with us until his contract runs out, Jack? Yeah. Honestly, don't know that they're, they're going to go and 
they're looking to replace him, and as soon as they've replaced him, he'll be gone. So uh, if if they get someone in the draft they like, then uh, they'll move on. Um, it, I think it will depend. And on what when the you say move are. on, Jack, do you think they just let him go? Oh no, no, they won't. They won't cut him. Um, I'm talking about trading him off. So uh, it could easily be rather than trading him for that fifth round pick, they just trade him for someone else that's in their final year. Um, so it might be worth having a look, sort of any of those players coming up to their final year next year for a team that possibly needs a tight end, possibly needs something else. Um, you could easily see the case of like they offer a pick and David Njoku for Andy Isabella. That was a player I threw out because I was looking at Arizona's roster and who I would really like. Um, they need a tight end. We need a wide receiver. They've got an abundance of wide receivers at the moment. So uh, those sort of deals could be something that gets struck. Um, Andrew Berry, what we've seen, they're, they're all over every deal going on. Free agents, trades, um, every conversation the Browns are mentioned there. Um, and that's not just because we've got the most cap room and agents using us. It's because he's actively out there aware of every single move. And if, if he finds value, he's going to do it. And um, it's just waiting for the right time. And someone will want him. Um, who, who wouldn't for a, uh, like a fifth round pick? People are going, oh, I want, a, I want a third, I want a second. Live in the real world. Um, Clayus Campbell went for a fifth. And uh, Clayus Campbell's a lot more impactful than David Njoku. Yeah. And if you listen, I, I, Andrew Berry did a really nice segment with uh, Nathan Zagura earlier in the week on Cleveland Browns Daily, where he said, you know, there's this instant thought process that all fixes have to come from the outside. And a lot of teams, you know, when they're able to develop in talent underneath, you know, the Harrison Bryants, the Stephen Carlson's, you're able to take a guy like Najoku and play that lottery ticket, you know, finding, you know, we'll quote unquote say, I know we got Rodney Harrison or Ronnie Harrison for a fifth, but you're looking at things like that, where there's a guy that has a lot of talent that there's a David Najoku on another team that you end up swapping them out. But yeah, if nobody wants him, I see him fully going through the end of next year. The Browns have no reason not to keep him around. He's under a fair contract. Um, so yeah. Anything else you want to discuss in the tight end room? We like it. It's good. Um, yeah. Really happy. All right, let's move to the running back room. So you've got one and a half years left of Nick Chubb. I was to say, we have one controversial player because they got a great deal on Nick on Kareem Hunt. And to be fair, nobody really cares about the third or the fourth running back. So let's specifically talk about Nick Chubb. I, 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 I want to talk about Kareem Hunt first. Kareem Hunt, that deal is insane. Um, it is phenomenal. Yes, Kareem Hunt doesn't have much wiggle room because he's been an idiot lots of times in the past and the idiot's probably putting it politer than he deserves. Um, but we all know what Kareem Hunt's done um, off the field. And we know what he's done on the field. He's an incredibly productive running back. He's basically been top five since he's been in the league. Um, and that's along with Nick Chubb. Nick Chubb's also in that top five. But um, they've got him on a deal, which is pittance. Um, it's six million a year um no guarantees they can just tell him to sod off and walk away at any time yeah four um, million this year five million next year and 6.2 million in year three with no guaranteed salary in year three yeah so yeah it, it's insane because that just increased uh from two and a half million this year up to four to hide some um in there but uh no it's a uh, really really nice position they're at with him and, and that just means they're under no pressure they can do whatever they want because they've already got Nick Chubb um Kareem Hunt locked in so Nick Chubb's got no real negotiation power um in there and able to go hey if you don't pay me you've got nothing you're left with like UDFAs because 
that's there. So forget the rest of them. There's two running backs there that are locks. They can look at someone this year, fourth, fifth, sixth, because, hey, who wants to draft a uh, running back on day one or two? Only idiots do that. Um, and then... Dave if Gettleman. They, if, if they <laughs> don't address Dave it, Gettleman. They, they can address it the year after. So uh, they're in a really, really nice position getting that Nick Chubb... De- uh, the, the Kareem Hunt deal done. Nick Chubb is not getting paid. Uh-uh. When you say getting paid, so this is the the debate amongst NFL GMs right now, because you get guys like Christian McCaffrey and Alvin Kamara, right? And they're, they're multiversal tools. They can catch the ball out of the backfield. You know, they can be running backs and you don't have a problem paying them 15, $16 million. But then you look at like Zeke Elliott, right? So I think that if you look at, and I know the Tony Pollard and Jack lights up. Tony, even like, Tony, Tony, uh, who's, Tony. Who's the running back in Dallas? Debbie does Dallas. Who is that this week? Um, so Nick Chubb. Nick Chubb's not an elite pass catcher like McCaffrey or Kamara. He was very much, if you looked at Ezekiel Elliott when he came out of Ohio State, his first few years in the league, and you look at Nick Chubb's prior to Hugh Jackson not playing him the first two weeks, still love you, Hugh. Um, you are looking at a similar type of player, a player that when they have an offensive line like Zeke did, can be a difference maker. David Johnson, when he was in Arizona. Derek Henry, who struggled a little bit more this year, losing Jack Conklin. One of my buddies who's a Titans fan uh, kind of pointed that out to me. So what do you pay Nick Chubb? Because look how many, look at Todd Gurley. Look at all these running backs that have signed these deals. And within a year or two years, people are going, what the hell were they thinking? Now, I don't think we're going to have to worry about off the field troubles or anything like that with Nick Chubb. But when you have that much money invested in offensive line, how much is Nick Chubb worth? Because you know Browns fans are going to be pounding the table. He's everything that a Browns fan loves. He's quiet. He does. He goes to work. He's a lunch, you know, lunch pail, blue collar, you know, strap your boots up, all the different, you know, terms that we use. So fans are going to want him here. What's it going to cost to keep him here? And is it, does it make sense? What about five million a year? Far too low? He would uh, never take that. By all means, you can go and offer him to it and he's going to laugh you out and then never come back to the table. And, and, and that's the point is if you start looking at these deals that have been done, Christian McCaffrey, everyone, no, he's 100% worth it. What's happened? They brought in Mike Davis, who's produced 90% of that. And what's happened when they brought in Mike Davis, they started passing the ball slightly more, not just to the running backs, passing it to wide receivers. Their offense became a lot more productive and they won more games because you've got this thing to remember as well when you pay a player is the sunk cost fallacy of like people go, oh, we've paid Zeke Elliott. We need to run the ball more. And what happens then is they start running the ball more rather than throwing the ball and then they lose more because if you want to win games, it's all about the passing game um, the majority of the time. So all we've seen, there's not been a single running back that's got paid recently that has gone and produced it for three years. Um, Zeke Elliott, all Cowboys fans are asking is when do we get out of it? David Johnson got dumped. Todd Gurley cut. The, the it, one I'm going to watch is Dalvin Cook. Dalvin Cook is, he's explosive. He's got Chubb like, he's, he's as good as Nick Chubb and he just got paid, but he got what, 13 million a year? I think 12, 13, 14 million a year. Um, I think he signed like a $60 million deal. I, I, can't, I can't give a running back that. I can't. If, he, if, if Chubb wants to take like a Kenyon Drake deal, that 8 million range, that, that we're starting to cook with gas. 
I just I can't get into the 12, 14, 16. I just can't. I love you, Nick. I love you, brother. Give me a 40-year, $32 million deal. How about that? Jack, how would you feel about that? He's just, the, the brain of Jack, he's like, four year, what was that? Four, four, 432, eight-year average uh, per year. That I, basically I gets him to about 26, 27, where that's the shelf life of the running back, and you're only committing $8 million. So if you add in Kareem Hunt, I can get Kareem Hunt and Nick Chubb for basically what the Texans are paying David Johnson and the Cowboys are paying Zeke Elliott. Yeah, so there's a couple of reasons why it's, it's just a no for me because you're not then just looking at Nick Chubb's deal. You're, you're still paying a running back the same money these other people are playing their running backs. And they're playing, no, there's about five million less. Dalvin Cook's paying 90% of snaps. And it's like you're not in a world where you're going, we're going to sit one of these guys for the majority of the snaps after paying them a top 10 running back in the NFL. To, your, to counter your point, though, about sunk costs. So if I'm paying a running back $8 million a year and he's splitting, say, 65% of the carries, I now then become not as unbalanced offensively as I would have been if I was paying him 15 I don't feel as much of the need. I can give 15 carries, 10 carries, offenses. I'm sorry, defenses don't know what our offense is going to do. I feel like that's more of a return on investment if I'm paying a high-quality pay, player less of amount of money because then I don't have the same obligation to use them every time. It, it gets that debate of, would you rather have Betonio or Nick Chubb? And when I say not have Betonio, I'm talking, you're going to stick up day three pick in there instead. And yeah, I know. that Cam, is just Cam Irving. Cam Irving's in there. Yeah. Yeah. So if you start pairing up, you're, you're going to go, well, people have this like weird hope around, um, who's the guy on the COVID list? Uh, the left Forbes. Forbes, that he's going to be something amazing. But let, let's say um, Corbett. Would you rather have Corbett and Nick Chubb or Kareem Hunt and um, Joel Batonio? And for me, it's Kareem Hunt and Joel Batonio all day long. It's, it's not an easy choice. It's not a hard choice at all. It's, it's slapping your face. And the, if we extend Baker Mayfield, we're going to have to make cuts around the roster. What would I rather cut? a running back that's going to pay 66% of snaps and you've got one just as good um, on an absolute bargain? Or do you want to get rid of an offensive lineman or get rid of a wide receiver? It's like, no, I get rid of the guy that I don't actually need. And everything we've seen is what makes a running game good. It's the O-line. Wyatt Teller being missing is a bigger impact on the running game than anything Nick Chubb can do. And Nick Chubb, take the positional value, everything out of it, is probably my favorite player on the entire roster. He is awesome, such a nice guy, but I don't give a rat's ass when it comes to being a nice guy and getting paid. I, I want to pay my money for wins. And lots of Browns fans and lots of fans of all sports start putting emotion and nonsense into it. Forget the emotion. Do you want to be a winning franchise or do you want to be a cuddly, lovey, teddy bear nonsense? It's, it's a simple choice for me. I'm here because I want my team to win. If you want your team to have feel-good stories, go and watch some amateur sport and pat yourself on the back. To stay within the context of our discussion about the Browns moving forward, I think the Browns are going to have top-level running backs for as long as they have top-level offensive lines. Because to Jack's point about McCaffrey and Mike Davis, and then you look at you know guys that split carries when they jump in, as long as you're consistent across the front, guys like Nick Chubb can prosper. We like them as people. But in terms of the state of the roster and how we are moving forward, 
I think the staple of Stefanski's team is going to be this run game. So we're going to see guys like Kareem Hunt, guys like Nick Chubb, guy like future running back player named X. You're going to see guys have a lot of success and we're going to fall in love with them because they score the touchdowns and we draft them high on our fantasy teams. But at the end of the day, the Browns system, the Kyle Shanahan, the Raheem Mostert's, you know, the Jeff Wilson's, the, you know, these guys come in and they produce. And that's what we're looking for. Production out of the running back room will be in the top 10, I would almost say, year after year, based on the system we're running and the personnel that we're going to build. Massive credits to Stefanski as well. Do you think we franchise Nick Chubb? No. No, we wouldn't take the top five average of running backs. Hell, that's got to be the top five running backs are all making over 10 million. So now I would. Okay. I'd rather give him the eight for uh, the four years for 32 than a franchise tag because you're going to pay 13 million for one. Look at Derrick Henry. Yeah, Derrick Henry's basically on two franchise tags. And they had to sacrifice Jack Conklin basically to bring back Henry. Whoops. Yeah, and, and, and that's a great point there. Of, would you rather have a running back or an elite left tackle, right tackle? Um, it's basically the same money these days anyway. Um, where do you value that money? And it's it that running back is a quite easily replaced, whereas you don't even get left tackles and right tackles growing on trees. Um, we've got a great O-line. Let's keep it together. Um, because the minute you take a piece out and you go, hey, let, let that guy hit Baker, we're back to potentially a bit of last year. And, and that was awful. So uh, it, it's, it's a shame. Um, it's going to be fascinating because Nick Chubb, potentially, because it is a bright front office, we're going to see a running back. I don't think they'll trade him. I don't think anyone will come in with an offer good enough. So they'll let him play out the final year. And let's see what he does on the market because other teams, when they've been running backs out there, haven't really paid them. We saw it with Melvin Gordon. There was the hype around him. Didn't get a great deal. Um, so let, let's see. It's, it's going to start being an experiment of uh, loads of these guys taking absolute battering for four years and then just out there and uh, not getting paid. Before we move on to the wide receivers and wrap it up, the judgment period on Nick Chubb is this offseason because you know Paul DePodesta, you know that Andrew Barry, if they're going to sign Chubb, are doing it this offseason because Chubb's people are going to want the deal done. They don't want another year on of tread. He got a little injury this year. I don't know if that helps you at the negotiating table, but if the Browns do plan on keeping Nick Chubb, they will have the deal done this offseason. They will not wait until – so if he plays next year under the same contract, you have 16 games to brace yourself that Nick Chubb is hitting the free agent market and barring some crazy – okay, I'll take a magical deal that you probably offered me last year. Watch this offseason, see who gets done. If Chubb gets done, then we can all rejoice. If not, get your Dick Chubb jerseys ready for eBay. Hey, if, if they listen to this podcast, they, they had a warning when we drafted him that he was only here for 64 games, regular season games. Now, in saying that, we move on to wide receivers where we talk about paying guys. We talk about difference makers. So wide receivers. We have two guys that make a lot of money. We've got, you know, two of the highest, what, top 15 paid guys. I think us and the Rams, I think, are the only two teams with two wide receivers in the top 15 uh, in terms of what they paid. Odell and Jarvis. How many years left have we got on Odell and Landry? So, I believe Landry's two. Odell's 2024. He's an unrestricted free agent. And Landry is 2023. So, two and three. 
here's the question before we get too much into it. I'm going to ask a really high level one here to start with. Not this off season, next off season. So one and a half years time. Is any wide receiver currently on the roster still on the roster? Yeah. For Daryl Hodge. Donovan Peoples-Jones, I think will be here. Hodge and Peoples-Jones, I would say maybe. Uh, Landry, if Landry's willing to take, if they can restructure his deal that maybe pays him like the number three receiver that he is, then possibly. Odell, I would say no. Landry is um, 40% yes, 60% no. And I think one of either the three or four guys is going to, um, like the Donovan Peoples-Jones or the Kadero Hodge may sign like a little three or four-year deal for us. What happens if Landry and Odell do a joint extension where it's club-friendly just because they want to stay together in Cleveland? If everyone talks about all these team-friendly deals and like, will our quarterback do this? Will they do that? It never happens. Um, Tom Brady is basically the exception. Um, Kareem Hunt isn't the exception because about 28 front offices probably just would never even touch him um, because of what he's done in the past and they don't want the baggage. So all this talk of like hometown deals, the only way you get hometown deal is when you draft a guy and you extend them before they hit free agency a year early because that's the time they do want to take a deal because that risk of you play out the final one or two years and you get a, a really bad injury or Miles Garrett does something stupid like he did before, then you just you would lose tens and millions of pounds of dollars. Um, so you don't actually really get the team friendly deals that are regularly talked about. They're they're actually pretty much a myth. Um, a lot of it is just in terms of more friendly structure. Um, but then there's no point of extending someone for a friendly structure if you're not going to keep them anyway. So uh, I, I can't see one happening. Um, I, I just don't get the point of keeping either. Um, I think you, you've got OBJ, which came in with a lot of promise, wasn't a fan of the trade, um, but thought he would produce to a higher level than he has. You've got Landry, who's he, he's, he's an elite third wide receiver. But the trouble with him being a third wide receiver is he should be on two and a half million roughly, um, maybe capped at four, um, maybe five if you wanted to push, sort of competing on a deal with like your Cole Beasley's people like that, who are actually outperforming him in terms of like their production. And he's not that uh, get, taking that style, style of deal. And it, that was the issue all along. Um, so it's, it, you almost need to completely rebuild it. Um, it's the one position where we need to really, really invest this year. Um, and then the rest is all on the D side, the defensive side. So it's scary. I, I wanted Cortland Sutton two years ago rather than Nick Chubb, Austin Corbett. I desperately wanted us to take um, someone in the first three rounds last year at wide receiver on, sometime on day two. Didn't happen. It's We keep pushing it down the line. And quite often you don't get what you want from that wide receiver in year one. You get a little bit of production. You don't see too much in year one. So we we almost we need to find maybe something in free agency if we trade both of these guys off or cut. People them. can figure out when we're recording this podcast, but there is a little bit of breaking news here in upon non-sports related. Legendary TV host Alex Trebek passed away. Um, I don't know if you guys watch Jeopardy over there. Alex Trebek is one of the most iconic figures on TV here in the States. Uh, and it just came out that he passed away. So 
uh, he has actually had the Browns as certain questions on Jeopardy. So at times I know it goes viral whenever there's a question about the Browns, but, uh, you know, rest in peace to uh, Mr. Alex Trebek. Rest in peace, Alex. Now for the wide receivers. A minute, minute silence for Alex. Sorry. That, that, that's a big deal here. That one will be talked about quite a, quite a bit. Um, but no, to Jack's point about the wideouts, I do think that some of the money that's allocated right now to this wide receiver room is going to shift over to the defensive side of the ball. I just think that you're talking about, we're going to have to redo some of these, you know, these deals. It's just, it's, it's such a weird room because you need a guy like Landry because the intangibles that he brings, you know, his, his grit, his fight, you know, let's be honest, he's probably responsible for keeping Odell at least emotionally calm because he can look across and see his brother. Um, but you can't, he's just, he's not playing to that level. I mean, he's got 33 catches for 419 yards and he's making what, 15 million? we love you Jarvis and to your point Paul maybe they do something where they restructure a team friendly deal but I think the Browns as we notice with the 49ers are always going to need at least one I don't want to say elite but they've got to have one top end high caliber receiver that threatens the defense because as we saw with the Raiders without Odell they just stacked the box so we're going to need a guy you know, the Niners just got Brandon Ayuk. They're going to need a guy that can stretch the field, that's going to draw double coverage so you can pull that eighth guy out of the box. Then you have guys like Hollywood Higgins and the Kadero Hodges and the Donovan People-Jones that can feast underneath. But we always will need an elite to top-end level receiver to make this offense work, and I think they know it. Look at Minnesota, what happened when they lost Diggs. Thielen becomes good but not great. So you're always going to need, you know, a perennial number one wide receiver. So you got to keep the money according to that. I just don't think either of the guys here are going to be that guy. The interesting note on the uh, wide receiver is we were one of three teams to put in a claim on uh, Dante Pettis um, in the last week when he was waived. So um, unfortunately, we didn't get him because I forget where he went, but the Pats and the uh, Browns were the two other teams that put in a claim. Um, so they're aware they need to do more. Um, it's just going to be a uh, how they do it. Um, looking at some names, you've obviously got some big names like Will Fuller, etc., going into free agency. So if, if they want to make a splash, they could. If they want to move both on, the issue is going to be no one wants to trade for big deals um, this off season because of the reduced cap, everything else. So if you don't want to keep them, you're probably cutting, um, which is going to be tough because of what's been invested in the pair of them. Uh, but it, it's one that as soon as OBJ went down, I, I pretty much felt like he's probably going to do another year here. Um, it's just what happens if you want to move one of the two on. Um, how messy and personal does it get? Do they both say, oh, sod it, if you're sending one, send both? Um, because you can't really, if you're putting everything into Baker and saying, look, you've got one more year, go out and prove it. You can't send him out there with nothing at wide receiver. Um, because even though you hear all the hype about the tight ends, tight ends, tight ends, last year in Stefanski's system, 50% of the passes went to um, wide receivers, um, 25 to running backs, 25 to tight ends. So it's still predominantly where the yards came from is wide receivers. So uh, it's an awkward, awkward position. 
Uh, one last question before we wrap up. Higgins. It, it, he's in a really, really advantageous position at the moment because of the OBJ injury. He's got a really good chance to go and make him some great money. If he can go out there and show, hey, I'm, I'm a, I can be a wide receiver too for eight games, then that makes the rest of the decision so much easier. Because if you're going, hey, this guy will extend him as a wide receiver too on a really good deal because you can get him on a really cheap deal for one, two years, um, time to something maybe seven and a half for two um, years. So what, 3.75 uh, each of the two years. Um, he, he would sign that because he just wants to get it done and know he's getting paid. Um, and then you can move on one of the two and you've got that more security. So um, no, it, it, it's all on him. If he bombs again for these last eight games, then it's all over. Um, might not hang around in the league, really, which uh, is a shame because I absolutely love the guy. All right, guys, anyone who's listening to this podcast, any input, anything you disagree with, anything you agree with, please do let us know, communicate with us, and that would be amazing. Ian, anything you want to finish up with? No. It's going to be an enjoyable bye week. We don't have to worry about all the stresses and everything. So, you know, it'll be a good time. We'll sit back, watch some football. So I think the Browns are heading in a good direction. I really do. Um, I think for once we have a lot of optimism and I think we just need to see a little bit more consistency on the offensive side of the ball. So we've got some pieces in place. We've got some, you know, pipelines developing in certain positions, you know, and hat tip to Andrew Berry who was able to put it all together in one year. So the Browns are turning the corner offensively. I think, like I said, it's one of those things where we're going to be quite happy with the productions and the performances that they have um, through these last eight games. We got a couple of winnable games in there. We need to really just kind of impact, you know, the game and enforce our will. And offensively, I think we're in a good place. I think we're trending in the right direction. Yeah, and I'm genuinely just so excited with this front office. The coaching staff, we see, have got what they need to do um, on the offensive side. Um, and yeah, Andrew Berry is doing wonders. Um, when I'm shouting at Twitter, I'm shouting to you guys, I want this, I want this, I want this. And then it comes out, we might not get that guy, but Andrew Berry was trying to get it done. Um, that just makes you feel really, really good um, because they know the right moves. Um, nothing's risky. They've not gone, hey, we've got to spend whatever it takes to get this guy because the minute you start doing that, you end up in a bad spot. They're looking to build a contender for years. I don't want one year we're in the playoffs, happy, happy days, and we're not there for four more years because that would suck. I, I want to become a powerhouse every year we're in the playoffs. That is the goal of a GM and a, a franchise as a whole. Get to the playoffs every single year. Once you get there, it's a bit of luck. There's a lot of luck on who wins, but you've just got to get to the show every year. And uh, I genuinely think we'll do it this year and then we'll do it rolling for quite a few years. So, um, that, that's going to be really good. Obviously, any time you get a QB injury, that's the one thing that throws it out and who cares. Um, but if your QB's healthy, you should be in the playoffs. And I, I think we are there for the long term. All right, guys. Ian, we look forward to seeing the wedding photo. Let's do a uh, pre-show this week, guys. And uh, go Browns. Go Browns. Go Browns. Go Browns.